Hello, I'm Mary Portis, and this is The Kindness Economy, a podcast that looks at the new values driving the businesses of tomorrow, people, planet, and profit. In that order, it's the future. Are you ready for better? Globalisation. It's kind of almost a dirty word now, isn't it? The rise of huge corporations, the driving down of price and labour conditions... But surprising as it may be for someone who's always championed the local, I'm going to make a bit of a rallying cry for our collective appreciation of the much bigger picture. Because for all its faults, globalisation has opened up the world around us in some very positive ways. Where once people believed the world ended on their own horizon, we're now more aware of other cultures than we've ever been. Everything from art to ideas is able to permeate beyond borders thanks to technology and increased movement we understand far more of those challenges facing countries internationally. All of this is why we felt it so acutely last year when much of the world just shut down. We weren't in this alone. The pandemic was a global catastrophe, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And at the same time, there was this new focus on and appreciation of our local communities, the people and the businesses in the streets closest to home. We rediscovered the strength and the grounding to be found in reconnecting with what's immediately around us. From chatting to neighbours, walking in local green spaces or using neighbourhood shops, we reconnected with our immediate environments. But was this heightened sense of both the local and global just a moment in time? Or will we carry it with us now that life is getting increasingly back to that word normal? Well, I for one hope we keep it. The ability to appreciate what immediately surrounds us while also seeing our place in the bigger picture is crucial. They're two halves of the coin. That is the word that I talk about often in my book, Rebuild, interconnection. One cannot be separated from the other. The harmony of one is dependent on the other. It's a movement and we must protect both. Even the smallest actions can have consequences on larger outcomes. I mean, mathematicians have been talking about this concept for decades. They call it chaos theory and use it to find predictable patterns in seemingly unpredictable chaos. Now, in a world that seems more chaotic than ever at times, we must apply this thinking. Our deep local thinking must be intertwined with the long global view. I'm Mary Portis. Welcome to The Kindness Economy. The Kindness Economy is supported by Dell Financial Services, offering your small business IT payment solutions that preserve credit lines for your core investments. With Dell Financial Services, you pay a little and you get a lot. With the choice to upgrade regularly to the latest kit or own your own hardware outright, either way, they can provide a low-cost payment solution over 36 or 48 months. If that all means something to you, then give Dell Financial Services a call today. They're waiting on 0800 085 4878. Yep, that's 0800 085 4878. And now, here's the show.
When Yvonne Chouinard became a member of the Southern California Falconry Club in 1953, it changed his life. Being taught how to abseil down cliffs to view the bird's nest sparked a lifelong love of climbing and the outdoors. 20 years later, he founded the clothing company Patagonia. It wasn't then, and it isn't now, an ordinary business. Yvonne surfed, climbed, fished and hiked. He was immersed in the values of that community and expressed them in his business from the start. Always an innovative employer, Patagonia led the way in providing on-site childcare for employees, vegetarian food and communal workspaces. The company is best known for its environmental activism, however, and it started with giving desk space to a grad student and campaigning to save a local river in the 1970s. Then came a commitment to donate a percentage of profits and ultimately total sales to environmental groups in the 1980s and a switch to organic cotton in the 1990s. All this results in very concrete corporate activism. Last year, Patagonia gave money to over a thousand grassroots environmental non-profits, repaired more than 100,000 garments and supported nearly 65,000 workers through fair trade. They publish films and books, fund environmentally and social conscious startups, campaign and innovate in organic and regenerative farming practices. Patagonia is a living breathing embodiment of a values-driven business that's now worth over $1 billion. Its mission statement reads, we're in business to save our home planet. It's an inspirational, ambitious company. And all this is why I'm so delighted to welcome Patagonia's Environmental Action and Initiatives Director, Beth Thorin. When I was about 15 years old, I remember going to a volleyball game and it was by the coast and I looked out at the ocean in a break and I thought, oh my God, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I didn't know what to do with those feelings. You know, I hadn't come across much nature before, but suddenly I was thinking, wow, there's just something magical about this. And, you know, I went about my life and did my all, all, all sorts of things that you do. You know, I went into business, I did engineering, did all sorts of things. But that underlying love was there. And then about 10 years ago, I happened to find myself on a ship. And on the ship, a whale swam by the ship. And the whale rolled and looked up at me. And it looked at me with curiosity and intelligence. But the thing that really struck me was I felt like I was going into the black eyes of that whale. And I was looking into infinity. It was something spiritual it was something like love. It was like being connected to the whole world. And that's what made me care. And that's what made me change my life. And I went from, you know, working in marketing to working for NGOs and charities, and most recently for Patagonia. And I think for all of us, there's, you know, particularly around climate, there's something that draws us to it, you know, whether it's looking in the eye of a whale, or whether it's looking at your child playing in the back garden, you know, there is something that is driving us and that, that thing is love. And, and whatever your reason is, we're all really, really worried about, you know, the future that we could together be facing. Yeah, it's like a spiritual awakening, which is not often what one would talk about in business. No. And, um, and I remember, you know, about 10 years ago when I started writing my book, Work Like a Woman, looking at this, you know, many people said to me, don't say that, you're going to sound a bit freaky, you know, you're going to frighten people off. 
But luckily today, that's how far we've come, that we can actually talk about this, that we can talk about our connection physically, atomically to nature. We are all one on the back of that. Mm -hmm. And I, I sometimes get deeply emotional about it and I have to be very careful because it actually you can feel it welling up in you. And um, when I watch people like Greta, and especially when she was looking at Trump's face, you actually saw this, is this, one, this mix of love and anger, this outrage and activism that together actually has to sit. But interestingly, and I know you've just come back from COP26, I'd want to ask this of you. I'd want to ask what you were doing out there and how far what you saw. But I don't see that profound moral message in politics. Did you? No, no, you absolutely don't see that. And I think that was one of the things that was so um, troubling about COP. And I don't want to completely shoot it down because there were a lot of things that happened that needed to happen. And I can talk about those. And those were important. But the reason, you know, that there was so much upset and so much anger is because people are going to die. There's going to be mass migration. There's no sense of urgency or, as you say, sort of a moral imperative. And, you know, it was really disturbing when I was there. So, you know, I walked in um, and I'm walking past the activists and parts of me wants to be with the activists because I really believe in what they're doing and they're speaking with such truth. But I'm walking past them and then I'm going into the entrance and the first thing I see is a lady with a Gucci bag. And, and that the, just the, the disconnect there of, you know, that you have indigenous people and activist people on the outside and then lady with Gucci bag going inside. And then you walk inside and in the main bit, all around the center of it were these corporate sponsors. And it made me feel really angry. And I think, you know, I did, I ended up speaking a lot. And a lot of times there was anger in my voice because, you know, there's just not enough being done. Nobody's getting the urgency. Nobody's really understanding that, you know, people are going to die because of this. I, I mean, I was quite astounded by that with the countries that were standing up and saying, this is going to affect our economic growth. And you're like, really? <laughs> really? Are we still talking in that way? Um, the mission statement for Patagonia, which is extraordinary, is that you're in business to save our home planet. That's one mission statement. That's one major purpose. Um, and of course, here's the thing. Ultimately, though, you're still in the business of selling clothes. How do you reconcile that with that goal? Yeah, and it's a question that we wrestle with every single day. And, you know, because every time we sell a jacket, we are contributing to the problem. And so you could say, well, shut down Patagonia, you know, just give up, stop being a business. But we've taken a view that actually we can have a outsized impact by modeling a different way of doing business and by influencing and using our voice at the business as a business. The reason I was at COP was because I was a business. The reason I was on the inside was because I was representing a business. We have a voice at a table that sometimes other people don't have. And if a business can use that for good, that's a really powerful lever. So, you know, the way that Patagonia looks at it is, okay, how can we absolutely minimize our footprint take our learnings, share them with other businesses and be a model for what business could look like. I mean, a purpose-driven business, a business that isn't focused only on profit. 
And we're pretty comfortable that everything that we do is aligned behind that. And it's a really, really different way of doing business. No, it's fascinating and wonderful. And, and, you know, chapeau, as they say in France, hats off to you guys. And I've been following it. But I suppose, and I wonder if anybody's done this, and there's enough brains of you guys in Patagonia, that the impact of actually still creating product versus the impact of what change that you're able to affect. Because here's the thing, we're all still going to wear clothes. (laughs) Unless we all start getting dressed um, and stop wearing clothes, we will still be producing clothes. And I know when I look at what you look at, 87% of the clothing that you sell is is recycled materials, but it's still got a long way to go before we get into a sustainable space, that's for sure. Mm. So I'm wondering if anybody's done that, the impact of what you're able to do when you look at all the stuff that you do, which is quite extraordinary. I mean, I think one of them is that you ultimately total sales go into environmental groups. I've given the head of this show here, I've talked about what you do. Ultimately, that weighs, outweighs the actual impact of what still selling clothes does, I suppose. Has anybody done that? Um, I think that's um, to, to do that exact calculation, I think, is almost impossible because it's almost impossible to measure what your impact is in the world and how you can influence things. But I think we've gone so far in terms of, you know, we have the highest percentage of recycled contents all preferred material, highest percentage of fair trade. And we are going to relentlessly drive that. The aim is that by 2025, we have no virgin petrochemical materials at all in our in our product. So we are relentlessly driving that down. Are we there yet? No, but we will get there. Um, and I think the other thing to think about is, you know, the the huge impact that you can have. And I'll just, you know, this, I'm not answering your question, but it's, um, it's, uh, It's kind of the way that I think about it. You know, if you take somebody like Greta Thunberg, she could have just become a vegetarian and that would have been great, but she didn't. She went out and used her voice. She went out and started school strikes. She went out and got those to happen all across the world. And that has created enormous momentum. And I think that's the point of influence is that that if you're going to change society, you need to bring people with you. And so if you have a voice, you need to use it. Patagonia has a voice, has a seat at a table, has a really powerful voice. We have the ability to tell stories. We invest in grassroots communities. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we give grants so that these activist groups can drive change. You know, we, we believe that has a huge impact. I was thinking about, you know, this. you guys have been going for 50 years. It's extraordinary. And, um, you know, in that 50 years, you're talking about, you know, still looking at how to create sustainability in fabrics, which, you know, everybody's going to be working on. Are you working with other businesses? And the other thing I was going to ask you is surely the technological advances that's happened since... He was in the 70s, you know, breaking bread together with his team and having his little crush out the back there. Um, surely that must have sped up. How quickly has that sped up the ability, technology in the last 50 years, to make these changes? And, and do you think we're going to see this sustainability and in the industry getting there quicker because of technology? Right. Well, so the, the first bit of your question is about sort of acting together. And again, you know, the way that Patagonia looks at it is like every product innovation that we make, we share. So we set up the Sustainable Apparel Coalition as a way to sort of begin the knowledge sharing. And then when we come up with an idea, then we try to get that mainstream. So let me just, you know, an example. We worked with a supplier called Primaloft 
which makes um, synthetic uh, filling. So instead of down, you have this sort of synthetic insulation. And we said we want that to be 100% uh, recycled materials. And they said that's impossible. And we worked with them for years on it. And we said the condition of us investing our time in this is that we, you make this your standard product and you sell it to everybody else in the industry. We made that a condition so that our investment would go wide and be used by everybody in the industry. So now that recycled, um, this structure and the way that that is made is available to everybody. And so I think, you know, it's that Patagonia has the value of if we're going to save the world, we need to work with others and we need to be sharing our technology. We need to be bringing people with us. And that's hugely important. So I was just thinking, you know, lots of the businesses that I talk to and, you know, some pretty significant ones and smaller ones are really making a difference. It comes from a vision at the top. It comes from a true, a true belief system. Do you think if he'd sold out that, you know, all you, and I'm just saying all the sort of bright business types that can go into a business can keep that purity and vision? Do you think it needs that at the top always still? Because so many I'm seeing are, have come from, you know, where there's a vision, there's a philosophy, there's a belief system. Mm. Can that be brought out by a corporation and, 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 and continued? Have you ever thought, talked about that around your, oh. you know, your sort of muesli or your um, vegan lunches? Ab- absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And, and I think, you know, we have a system now that is absolutely insane where, you know, when an investors, companies are responsible only to investors and only to deliver shareholder profit. That is the value system with which we are run. Of course, in this country, we're doing, we're pushing to have that clause changed. 800 companies have come together to change it to stakeholder investment. And what that means is, is this looking after communities? Is this looking after the, the towns and the cities where your businesses are? That's a really important clause to get changed. I couldn't agree more. So you're talking about the Better Business Act in the UK. I am indeed. And then yep. there's, a, there's, a, there's a similar process going through in, in, in Europe. And That is fundamental because that is the real systems change you need. Because, you know, we're very lucky because we're a private company. You know, when Yvonne Chouinard, who is our founder, you know, at whatever time he decides to entirely retire, then, you know, we still have the value system and the ability to continue this. But you've got a seat there and absolutely in that power game, you have a seat and that profit game to really influence on the the better business. You you really have huge influence to make this happen because they only listen, as we know, to the big corporations. Yes, I mean, that's that's absolutely right. We we are working really closely alongside uh, the B Corp group to... um, Oh, yeah. Are you you a B Corp? Oh, absolutely. We were um, one of the original founding members. Of course you were. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, this is... You know, changing the governance of business is one of the systemic changes that we think we can have a huge outsized voice on and that needs to happen if we're going to succeed in changing the world to address the climate crisis. Technology. And my question on technology, how quick? So this time next year when we're doing COP again, do you think with the speed of technology that we are going to see this, you know, real the ability to create sustainability within the production of, of fashion much quicker. Have you seen that? I mean, surely he must have seen that since his 50 years. Wow. Look, look at what we're able to do. Yeah. I mean, I think that there will be changes. Will you see them by next year? No. I mean, we're looking, 
you know, some of the big changes that we're talking about are taking two to four years to to implement. So, you know, are you going to see a rapid solution right away? No, absolutely not. I don't think you can. Um, so, so yes, it's happening, but I don't. I wouldn't rely on it. I think we we need to be relying on is people power demanding change. I don't. Th- you know, I think there's this whole discussion around. You know. Oh, you know, we're we're going to be able to capture carbon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Give me a break. What we need to do is stop emissions. And we also happen to have something called nature that's really, really good at absorbing carbon if you look after it. So I loved you, your um. Yeah, sorry, do continue. Go on. Go yeah. On. So you know, I I think it's very tempting to say you know, oh, oh, technology will get us out. We'll have technology solutions in apparel. We'll have technology solutions. You know, and I just think actually, you know, we have the technology that we need now to drive the change, to drive the energy systems change that we need. It's there. We have the nature. If we look after it, it can absorb the carbon. So I think to sort of say technology is the solution is kind of a cop out. I'm with you totally. Nature is at the heart of this. I remember hearing Lee Edelcourt speak, who's ah Dutch. You must know Lee Edelcourt. I'm sorry. Do you know Lee Edel? Oh, you must. You must do. So Lee Edelcourt is. um, She predicts trends, and she's extraordinary. And um, she's based in the Netherlands. And um, Lee would have been the one that all the designers went to. And years ago, I remember hearing her talk, and she started to talk about how the fashion industry was, you know, still behaving. And she talked about the future being on the farm. And we were all like, whoa, this is well before we even thought about how you were going to create sustainable products through whether it's beetroot pulp or whether it's mushroom whatever or the chap I was talking to this morning who was growing new plants for denim in and it was extraordinary and how nature is going to play such a fundamental part and you know weirdly since since covid we're seeing a real migration out of the cities you you can start to feel this shift happening and i i was i know i went off on a slight tangent there but i loved when I read about you volunteering in lockdown, um, the National Nature Service, mm. and I and was about training up young employed people in nature conservation. Such an inspiring idea. But amid all the grants and bailouts and everything else, you still haven't got funding. That that slightly depresses me. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so, you know, when, when COVID first happened, the economy just took an enormous dive. And as usual, young people and disadvantaged people of colour got, you know, were the first to lose their job and lose any opportunities. And at the same time, what was happening was the all of the nature charities were having to furlough the National Trust furloughed 80 percent of their staff. So, you know, it was it was devastating. And based on something that happened in the U.S., it was called the Civilian Conservation Corps in the 1920s. They basically took young men put them out in nature and rebuilt nature. They, they created national parks, they created roads, they planted trees, stopped flooding. And I just thought that's what we need to do in the UK. We have a climate crisis coming. We need to be building our flood resilience. We need to be, you know, planting trees. And actually we've got a bunch of people who could be getting job skills and training and learning how to do it. And it just seems like such an obvious solution. And there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of interest from number 10, but ultimately it was killed because supposedly there wasn't enough money. 
I just think it was a misguided decision and a real lost opportunity because they went for a cheap program. These uh, young employed, unemployed people got jobs in Tesco. Uh, that's great. But, um, you know, rather than having a win for our society, a win for the young people, um, they got a job in Tesco. Great. I'm always slightly, um, and I have to be careful, but I don't actually really, that's not true, I don't even know why I said that. But, um, you know, so many times I, when I deal with government, and when I, even when I did my high street report, I, I didn't talk about profit, I didn't talk about, you know, the business model, I talked about what we need as humans. Mm. Uh, how I'm always amazed at that lack of, a cultural understanding of the frequency of the way the world is moving within politics, uh, the lack of it. Mm. And to go and say, well, look, it's going to be Tesco's, you kind of go, how are you missing this? How are you, who, who is not looking future-facing or even actually understanding the shift that we're all going through? I'm astounded. So I know that at the heart of um, what you're doing at Patagonia, nature-based solutions are absolutely key to that. Things like regenerative agriculture. How can we, you know, use nature itself to create solutions? Yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think I think nature is full of solutions. Um, you know, we've been looking at uh, at coastal solutions. So everybody's talking about tree planting, which is fantastic if you do it in the right way in the right place. But um, but actually, you know, if you plant seagrass, it has the t ability to, to absorb 20 times the carbon that the equivalent space of trees would. And at the moment, you know, the, that seagrass is being ripped up by illegal dredging and by illegal trawling, uh, bottom trawling. And what we can do is, is, is stop that and get that replanted. So if you're planting seagrass, if you are planting um, and growing seaweed, seaweed can be used for fertilizer, seaweed can be used for food, seaweeds can be used for plastic. You know, it's possible that we can start creating jobs in coastal communities growing and selling seaweed. And we can be restoring our um, coastal systems. And what we always try to do is look at solutions that have a benefit for people as well as for nature or climate change. So, you know, coastal solutions is one example, you know, seaweed farming is one example. Um, last year, Patagonia launched a campaign, not about nature solutions, but actually about the energy transition. So um, right now, when you get energy from a supplier, you know, all of the profit goes to the big six energy companies and it's gone. But actually, if your community gets together, buys solar or puts up a wind farm, and then you, you, you invest in that together, you can get the money from that and that can go into your community and you can support people who can't afford energy, you know, uh, energy and heating, or you can choose to, um, to benefit your local community. So we've been um, investing in that. And I think the key going forward is, like in the past, it's always been nature, uh, against people. And I think we need to change that alignment and say nature and people together. Those are the solutions that we need that we're going to start driving real change and real energy. And I think that's that's where we need to drive going forward. This is all comes down to really, you know, uh, and, and, and without sounding in any way nostalgic, because I'm not, but the, the fundamentals of community and connection and collaboration. That's all this ever comes down to. And we came across this, didn't we, during COVID. We realised 
we helped each other out. It was amazing. You know, wasn't it, it just was fantastic? Uh, utterly joyous. I mean, apart from the stress levels of, you know, not knowing whether you're going to have a business, um, there was something so deepening. And this is where we have to harness that and hold on to those beautiful things that at the heart of us as good people, we were able to connect with the love that you talked about, with looking at each other, whether it was the whale that you saw in the sea, but actually going, the only way out of this is together. And that's why I feel so disillusioned with politics that the answer has to come from the swell of people changing the way that we are in order to influence politics. Um, Smaller businesses, you know how much I love smaller businesses. It's hard for those right now. Any, you know, is there one single single thing that you would maybe or you've thought about that small businesses can do to do their bit or, you know, stay in the game? Because as you talk about, you've got a big power, you've got a big business, you've got a successful brand. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have two thoughts on that. You know, I, I just to reflect, you know, that there are a group of people who don't enjoy that consumerism and will respond to different kinds of messages. And so think about whether you can give a different kind of message, one that's much more about, you know, keep keep what you have, don't buy more than you need, you know, whatever it is that feels right for that business, I think is is worth thinking about whether it's possible. Uh, I know at the beginning you said, sorry, sorry, keep going, go. Uh, something else, sorry, Beth. <laughs> No, God, I'm just, okay, I'm going to finish, we'll come back. But I know at the beginning you said, oh, I got out of marketing. But here's the thing, I think marketing's vital in this. Because when I was creative director of Harvey Nick selling stuff to, you know, from getting that Gucci bag, yep. that that woman, oh, yes, yes, Mayor Culpa, I was there. Um, I think that this message, which is, you know, don't buy this jacket or actually giving back to charity. I think we need to create this sort of modern, innovative way of living is the really cool way of living. And we need to make that sexy. That's the big marketing job that needs to be done. And you're doing it really well. But I think we could go, whoa, even bigger. Oh, I think I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, the, the secondhand market is the fastest growing market in, in fashion. Know. And that's really, really exciting. And it's profitable. So, you know, businesses can get into it. And also, you know, if you look at what young people, um, I don't remember the stats completely off the top of my head, but the number of young people who have and actively seek secondhand product and vintage product extremely high. I don't know that we need to market to them. I think they've already got the idea. Um, and I- oh, no, but there's a lot that have, but there's a huge amount when you start to look at where the sales still in fast fashion are and luxury. Let's not let those buggers off. No, no, no. You but, know, but, the, but I yeah. think that there's momentum there that we can build on I together. I agree. And- I agree. And I, and, and I, I love the TED Talk that Stephen Pinker gave because I think we, sh- we sh- can't get away from this. Uh, you know, he talked about the world getting better, but no one talks about that. Yeah. They don't. You know, and it is getting better. So I kind of want to focus on that because the conversations like these ultimately have to be hopeful. Yep. Are you hopeful? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm hopeful. And, um, you know, and I, I'm hopeful because, um, because I see change happen. And I guess because I work in this world a lot, I see a lot of change and I see a lot of people engage. And it's a really, I, I, um, I enjoyed it. I was listening to a podcast once and I was reading about these people who are called green trawlers. And they basically attack 
uh, Shell and Exxon, and any time that they come out with greenwashing, these people just go, that's completely hogwash. Oh, shit. You can say it, man. <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> it's okay. And I go in the BBC and go, Mary, you can't swear. And I go, oh, God, I forget. I know. And you, we can say it on my podcast. Okay, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and they have a go at it. And I think to myself, yeah. I couldn't do that. I, I, I'm not a social media native. They go for it. You know, you have artists that are going for it. And I think, you know, it's about every single one of us using our voice in some way. Seven out of 10 people are really concerned. At the moment, only one out of, out of 10 is acting. And actually, we all have the power to act. We all have a skill. We don't need to become vegans. We can use our voice. We can use our skill. And I think what makes me happy is I see the green trollers. I see the artists. I see entrepreneurs springing up everywhere. I see the secondhand market growing. You know, even at COP, for all its faults, I saw a lot of action, a lot of, a lot of promises. And yes, massive gaps in those promises. But the reason those people were acting is because they're feeling the pressure. Activists are putting pressure on them and they're feeling like, oh my God, I better do something. They know they've got to do this. They know. Exactly. So I don't care if they're performing, just get on and bloody well do it. Exactly. And, and us, individuals, because I love the fact that you talk about this. My, you know, when I did my TED Talk, my final line was, every pound that we spend is a vote on how we want to live. Mm. Um, what kind of changes do you think we can, as individuals, do? Yeah, I mean, I, I um, you know, I... Uh think that the biggest thing that you can do is combine your, your um, you know, what you love with what your skill is. So, you know, yes, there's a load of little things that, you know, that, that you can do that will help, that we need to have happen. Yeah, eat less meat. Yeah, travel, only do necessary stuff on planes. You know, there's some really basic things that you can do and you can buy more secondhand clothes. So, you know, those three things are really easy, practical things that you can do. Eat less meat. Use your pound wisely in terms of what you buy and, and, and fly less. So there's a bunch of things that we can do that are really simple and really easy. Um, but I think there's a couple of things that are perhaps even more important. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but unless I push myself into a conversation, I don't get my friends to talk about climate change and talk about what they're doing. And so I have to say, hey, you know, I took the train here. I didn't fly. Um, to just get them to talk and nobody's talking yeah. about it. And so yes. I think the most, you know, really important thing that every one of us can do is start a conversation. Let's, yeah. let's just... A cultural narrative that seeps into society that's totally... And I forget the economist who talked about Schiller, Robert Schiller, he talks about that. That has a greater effect. Exactly. You sit and you just seep those things in and it becomes... Normal. Not where did you, Yeah. Not where did you get that bag from? Get the look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all those things It just becomes normal. You know, yeah. walking into the office and letting everybody know. Um, you're right, taking, you know, taking the train as opposed to... Yeah. I'm going on a sleeper up to Edinburgh. That's how much I am going to be taking the train and not flying. Quite looking forward to that. Exactly. I, I walk into the office at Patagonia and I say, see the hole in my sweater? See, I didn't throw it out. I've still got it. Wonderful moment. Mm. You know what's exciting is, uh, you know, I've spent my life selling stuff and helping businesses grow. And, it's, and, I, and this is my little hope at the end of it. It's rare that you get such a seismic change in the way the world is. Mm that you have to co and recreate. 
And that, to me, is the excitement because such innovation is coming out of this. I mean, it's a shame we're so pressed up against the wall for it, but actually it's like in recovery or you can only get better when you're really right down there. I think that's and so true. And when you discover, yeah. I think that's so true. You know, um, this is a, a great example of it, but, you know, when we were trying to think how on earth do we cut our carbon emissions, we realized that over 95% of it came from materials in our supply chain. And we are tiny, absolutely minuscule on the scale relative to the factories that we buy from. So we realized that the only way that we could change it is if we got together with other small buyers and then were to then incentivize the factories together to do the emissions, to, do, to invest in cutting carbon. And we would never have done that without this sort of pressure of, you know, yes. we have to come up with a solution. We cannot do yes. it alone. We're too small. Therefore, we need to get together with other, the other small fish to find this solution. And that's yeah. the kind of, I, I mean, time and time again at Patagonia, we find it's the tension that creates the innovation. Yes, yes. Always, always, always. Okay, finally, the question that I close with, um, where would you like to see not only just Patagonia, but your industry in five years' time, five to ten years' time? I, I would love to see um, a really close cooperation between all of us in the sector working really, really closely together to cut real emissions and I would like to see the language change around consumption. I would like it to, mm. to be about, you know, you buy what you need. And, mm. and that's it. And that, and that there's this relationship of, you know, you own things instead of consuming things. Um, and, uh, and if that, and yes, so owners, not consumers. And then I suppose that I would, you know, or sharers, or or sharers, absolutely a sharing economy, and then and then lastly, you know, we need to move beyond ourselves. We need to each use our influence. And so I would like to see small businesses, big businesses, saying we want our governments to do what's right for the people, for the people and for nature. That's what I would really like to see individuals fighting and businesses using their voice together to fight for our planet. Beautiful. Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. And give my love to Amsterdam. Will do. And uh, where did you live in London? Which bit were you I at? was in King's Cross. I used to live on a houseboat oh, in King's bad. Cross. Ha, ha, ha. How terribly wonderful. Of course you did. Of course you did. Take care. Listen, I hear a lot of corporate guff being spoken in businesses that put themselves out there as sustainable, doing best for the planet. Patagonia's mission statement is a shining light of how simple and powerful a single core message can be. Our mission, Patagonia says, is to save our home and planet. That's pretty straightforward. And I think they really are. Thank you, Beth, for joining me to chat about their amazing work. Next week, I'm going to be chatting to Dale Vince, a renewable energy industrialist who founded his £100 million business after spending a decade on the road as a traveller. Traveller.